0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We needed to talk on today's show about the excellent series which has turned up in the Sacramento Bee this week about what has happened in Guantanamo and other areas of incarceration regarding the so-called War on Terror and how it is, in fact, manufacturing terrorists from innocent people. So we'll talk about Tom Lassiter's excellent four-part series later in this segment, as well as do an excerpt later in the program from uh, Fair Game, Valerie Plame's autobiography detailing uh, the machinations of uh, B- Team Bush, regarding her and husband, uh, Joe Wilson. In case you've forgotten, Valerie Plame was uh, the CIA agent who was working on nuclear proliferation, uh, matters of like selling uh, the technology to make atomic bombs, kind of an important area in terms of intelligence gathering. Uh, Her career was ruined, and she was outed by um, Karl Rove, Scooter Libby, Dick Cheney, and presumably George W. Bush, in retaliation for her husband, Joe Wilson, reporting to the press in an op-ed piece in the New York Times that the information in the State of the Union address where George Bush claimed we had uh, data from overseas suggesting that Saddam Hussein was about to buy nuclear materials from uh, Africa, uh, that was wrong, and Team Bush knew it was wrong. We've been pleased to have had Ambassador Joe Wilson on this program twice, and we're going to do a little excerpt from... uh, from uh, Valerie Plame reading her autobiography, which, by the way, was heavily redacted by the CIA, even as regards evidence that is already in the public domain. To say that uh, she and her husband got screwed by the Bush administration would be a vast understatement. But then, uh, considering how important her work was, being outed uh, basically screwed the entire nation. Since I think most people would agree, uh, the idea of rogue states obtaining nuclear weapons is probably something we should keep an eye on. We'll also hear from our old pal Will Durst, as well as um, Sean Mitten, in our second segment to talk about some recent evidence that uh, all is not well in the National Basketball Association. Not that we necessarily care a great deal about the National Basketball Association, But it does have some implications for sports in America, which, after all, are are major businesses. As you well know, dear listener, we're anything but a sports talk kind of program, but uh, sport is important, and uh, for that reason, we do on occasion discuss it on this program. Let us begin the show, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, which in our case today is June 19th. It was on June 19th. 240 BC, that the Greek geographer and mathematician Eratosthenes measured the circumference of the earth and did a pretty good job of it. In fact, he was quite a bit closer than Christopher Columbus was 16 centuries later when he thought the earth's circumference was 18,000 miles and he was going to sail west right into China. It was on June 19th in 1867 that the Austrian Archduke Maximilian who'd been named Emperor of Mexico by an international debt-collecting expedition when it took possession of Mexico in June 1863, was executed by his ungrateful subjects. Under pressure from the United States, Napoleon III of France had withdrawn his support for the Emperor Maximilian, who decided he was going to stay and rule over his happy subjects. His subjects, of course, had other ideas, treating, uh, treating his... Um, his emperorship as something that was instituted by foreign powers after, after an invasion, which of course it was, when it's referred to as a debt-collecting expedition, well, well, it's a hell of a tale. We're gonna to have to get our, our intern, Leti Chavez, to come, I think, and talk about, uh, about uh, this episode of history because it's quite a sordid mess, but uh, one which illustrates a few principles for nations that just think they can just go and invade other states and things will be just ducky. On June 19, 1905, in Pittsburgh, PA, showman Harry Davis opened the world's first Nickelodeon, showing a uh, celebrated silent film called The Great Train Robbery. The storefront theater boost, boasted 96 seats and charged only 5 cents. Nickelodeons soon spread across the country. By 1907, 2 million Americans had visited a Nickelodeon. On June 19, 1935, President Franklin D. Roosevelt suggested overhauling the U.S. tax code to prevent the accumulation of great wealth in the hands of a few, proposing an inheritance tax and higher levies on big fortunes. FDR's efforts were a spectacular failure, as the accumulation of great wealth in the hands of a few has continued unabated. However, the inheriting of a moderate amount of wealth by various Americans, uh, was was curtailed rather effectively. June 19th was an interesting day for Joe Lewis. In 1936, he suffered the first defeat in his boxing career, learning, losing to German fighter Max Schmeling. Five years later, in a famous fight at the Polo Grounds in New York City, Lewis defeated Billy Kahn, a, f- a former lightweight moving up in class. Uh, the fight's pretty famous because Kahn was ahead on points late in the fight, but decided to go for a knockout, which instead earned himself a knockout in the 13th round. And I believe this is also the fight uh, wherein reporters asked Lewis beforehand if he was going to be able to catch Khan because he was fast and would move around, to which Lewis replied, he can run, but he can't hide. And finally, it was on June 19th 1948 that the U.S. Congress enacted peacetime selective service for the first time. This required all men between the ages of 19 and 25 to register for the draft. The draft lasted until 1973, when Richard Nixon's defense secretary, Melvin Laird, announced that uh, we would go to an all-volunteer force. All right, let's do our quote of the day. Uh, You know, last week we quoted from Alexis de Tocqueville, and I like so many of his quotes, I think we'll use another one. Said the French writer, In America, the majority raises formidable barriers around the liberty of opinion. Within these barriers, an author may write what he pleases, but woe to him if he goes beyond them. And for our quip last week, we quoted Orson Welles, and Orson Welles has so many good quips, I think we're going to go to that well again one more time. Said Orson, if you want a happy ending, that depends, of course, on where you stop your story. Our joke of the day is the one about the Costa Rican fireman. Apparently his wife gave birth to twins, and he named the first one Orson. Jose, and the second one, Jose B. That is Mr. McMillan's editorial opinion about that particular joke. Our statistic of the day, and this one's a scary one, is that um, 67% of Americans say traditional journalism, including newspapers and TV, is out of touch with what they want from the news. 48% say the Internet is now their primary source of news and information, up from 40% a year before. 29% of Americans say they get most of their information from television. I'd like to restate that one slightly. 29% of Americans get no information. On the other hand, 11% point to radio. And 10% list newspapers as their main information source. That's according to Zogby. We're a little bit scared about Americans turning their back on newspapers, uh, which, of course, we'll talk about in a minute with uh, that fine piece in the B regarding Guantanamo. But first, let's take a little detour into the good, the bad, and the ugly. of the week magazine it was a good week this week for america's trial lawyers in the wake of a tennessee man suing his church for 2.5 million dollars the man claims someone should have been there to catch him when he collapsed in religious ecstasy matthew lincoln age 58 said that after minister robert lavalla of lake wind church anointed his forehead lincoln quote received the spirit and fell backward unquote Unfortunately, he struck his head on the carpet-covered cement floor. That fall allegedly exacerbated a pre-existing spinal condition. A lawyer for the church's insurer said Lincoln should have realized no catchers were situated behind him. I don't know, has he ruled out going back for a faith healing? Last week was apparently a bad week for Israeli giraffes. After a rabbinical court in Jerusalem declared the animals meat and milk to be kosher. And in the wake of a fine New Scientist article about how people should be eating more insects around the world because uh, it's a much more efficient way to raise protein and they are nutritious, uh, we would like to cite the fact that if you're thinking, if you're Jewish and thinking about eating cicadas, we've got some bad news. Apparently um, the Jewish rabbinical courts ruled them non-kosher. So stick to giraffe. And finally, it was an ugly week this last week for political protesters after rumors spread that Denver authorities plan to control unruly demonstrators at this summer's Democratic National Convention by unleashing a new infrasound weapon, which I did not know about, and I'd like to know more, that apparently makes people poop in their pants. For security reasons, city officials will not confirm or deny they've acquired a, quote, crap cannon, unquote, but say their crowd control measures, quote, will comply with federal and city requirements, unquote. Now, I must confess to being ignorant about an ultrasound device that causes you to poop in your pants, but we need to get more data on this. This does not sound good. We didn't get around last week to talking about either Burma or uh, Zimbabwe, and I think we should. I feel I have a slight personal stake in this because in traveling around the world, I think probably the nicest people I met in Asia were the people of Burma, and arguably the nicest people I met in the continent of Africa were the people in Zimbabwe. Both deserve better than their governments. Especially things like this article by uh, Glenn Kessler in the Washington Post noting that Burma's giving cronies a slice of storm relief. The article notes that the ruling military junta parceled out key sections of the Irrawaddy Delta to favored tycoons and companies, including several facing sanctions from the U.S. Treasury. Despite promises of greater openness, the Burmese rulers have continued to impose restrictions on aid relief in the wake of a Cyclone Nargis. Well, we got to talk about this. Uh, uh, the article says that much of the country is a forced labor camp with more than 60 prisons, labor camps, and detention centers that's according to a report this year by the Burma Fund, an anti-government activist group, which notes that people forced into construction are paid minimum wages, if at all. And sadly, things are just as bad in Zimbabwe, where uh, they keep arresting the opposition candidate, Morgan Uh, uh President Mugabe has this bizarre theory that uh, colonialism, uh, the British and various colonial powers wish to reestablish white rule. That, that's his, uh, that's his um, party line. I was very pleased to hear somebody from the BBC giving a government spokesman a very hard time. At one point asking him when they were talking about how they were arming these militias to go out and beat up uh, people who were peaceably trying to uh, you know, demonstrate some political activism for the opposition. The reporter just asked him, are you, are you proud of yourself? And I was kind of proud of him, as the guy was fumbling and talking about how well the British in Iraq are doing terrible things, which is arguably true. But uh, he did look like the, the jackass that he was. Uh, in some happier news, it looks as though Israel and Syria are actually uh, talking about returning part of the Golan Heights to Syria. In the wake of the Six Day War in 1967, most of Golan's 100,000 Arabs fled. They've not been allowed to return. Well, most of them haven't. There are about 20,000 Arabs there, mostly Druze, a sect that split from mainstream Islam centuries ago. And uh, in some other good news closer to home, a uh, former Radio Parallax guest and U.S. Congressman and former presidential candidate Dennis Kucinich. Put uh, 35 articles of impeachment uh, in the U.S. Congress against George Bush on June 9th. I think uh, some of these he should have left out, but he's got a, a dozen that are pretty strong. Such as number one, creating a secret propaganda campaign to manufacture a false case for war against Iraq. Also number two, falsely, systematically, and with criminal intent conflating the attacks of September 11, 2001 with misrepresentation of Iraq as a security threat as part of a fraudulent justification for a war of aggression. Unfortunately, House leadership such as Nancy Pelosi, who announced a couple years back that impeachment was off the table, are uh, doubtless going to let this die. We think they should not. We also hope to bring you Vince Bugliosi uh, on the program next week. We like Mr. Bugliosi, even though we don't necessarily agree with his, uh, his uh, premise that there are no unresolved mysteries regarding the assassination of President Kennedy. But he wrote one of the best books about Election 2000, and his, uh, his case for trying George Bush for murder is one uh, that uh, you know, Amy Goodman talked about on her program Democracy Now! Uh, last week, and we'd like to talk about as well. We also uh, have, uh, we hope, uh, Robert Shear, author of uh, the recent book, The Pornography of Power in the Pipeline. We think Robert Shear is one of the handful of great journalists uh, operating in this country, and we, we very much uh, hope to bring him to you, and the odds are good. You know, as regarding these, these articles of impeachment, I, I do find it depressing to like seeing, for example, on the cover of The Week magazine, a magazine we like very much, in which we quote frequently on this program. Uh, on the current edition, cover page, talking points. Did Bush lie about Saddam's WMD? Question mark? Of course, the thing about the week is when it talks about a topic, it, uh, it will give you various quotes from different sources. We would not agree with Stephen P. Hayes, who wrote in the Weekly Standard, that slander has no basis in fact. We would counter that it is, uh, that it is not slander because it actually is factual. We're more in sync with Bob Frankel, who wrote in the HuffingtonPost.com that the Senate Intelligence Committee, which released a report last week, found proof that Bush, Vice President Cheney, and then Defense Secretary Rumsfeld cherry-picked the most alarming speculation from the intelligence, ignoring the expressed doubts and uncertainties in order to convince Americans that Saddam posed an imminent threat. He noted, It's official. These men now have the blood of thousands on their hands. This report deserves uh, more publicity because, uh, you know, uh, we were talking on this program during the ramp-up to war how obviously more responsible people in the intelligence community were saying, we do not have evidence of this. It was clear even then what they were doing, the cherry-picking, the the stove-piping of data. So we're we're 100% certain that uh, the bumper stickers, the coffee mugs that say a bush lied and people died, it's a fair assessment. This might be a good time to excerpt uh, Valerie Plame Wilson reading her book, Fair Game. Former CIA expert on weapons of mass destruction, outed by the Bush administration.
1: Someone shouted, he's on. I quickly engaged a security screen on my computer and got up from my desk and went to the television to watch Secretary of State Colin Powell address the United Nations. It was February 5, 2003 just three weeks after Bush's State of the Union address. There had been much speculation among my colleagues about what evidence Powell would use to justify the decision to go to war. George Tenet could not be missed sitting just over Powell's right shoulder, looking tired but wearing a jaunty sky-blue tie. His presence telegraphed the unmistakable message that the CIA was in agreement with all that Powell said. Powell gave a bravura performance in his smooth, baritone voice. It was a powerful presentation, but I knew key parts of it were wrong. As I listened, particularly shocking to me were the passages about Iraq's alleged mobile biological weapons labs. The secretary had clearly drawn his description of the labs from a deeply flawed defector source, a former Iraqi military officer codenamed Curveball. Curveball, a drunk, was living in Germany at the time. His reporting could never be verified, and the German service would not allow any CIA officer to meet with him, despite our repeated requests. Although an official burn notice, that is, notification to the intelligence community that a source was fabricating or somehow unreliable, did not go out until June 2004, it was widely known that Curveball was not credible. But there was Secretary Powell, before millions on TV, warning that Iraq's trucks could brew enough weapons-grade microbes in a single month to kill thousands upon thousands of people. Powell's presentation was probably the single most important factor in selling the upcoming war to the American public. It wasn't until September 2005, in an interview with ABC News, that Powell expressed his deep regrets about it, describing it as a blot on his record. He added that he had never seen evidence to suggest a connection between the September 11, 2001 terror attacks in the United States and the Saddam regime. I'm the one who presented it on behalf of the United States to the world, and it will always be a part of my record. It was painful. It's painful now.
0: All right. I know I said we were going to try and get to Tom Lasseter's piece about Guantanamo in our first segment, but we're out of time. So let's uh, let's take a break. Let's talk about let's talk about some less weighty matters here in our second segment with our one of our favorites, Sean Minton. And uh, we'll get back to some of the heavier stuff, I think, in segment three. (laughs)